All right, weekends, episode 10. The boys are back. No signs of slowing down at all. Double digits. Give me the relevance of number 10. Well, if you're a football fan, soccer in the U.S., number 10 is the number. It's the Leo Messi's of the world. It's, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the maestro of the team, right? It's usually like the savant. It's, uh, it's the captain generally of the team. I mean, 7 and 9 and 11 sometimes are reserved too for like the Ronaldos of the world, the strikers, the forwards, the outside winger. Um, but 10 is, I think, the most significant number of football, which is important. And Kobe paid homage, you know, my guy, my favorite, uh, in the Olympics. He wore number 10 for this reason. So it's a great number, man. So I'm pumped for this episode. We got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Shout out Kobe. Shout out Messi. Shout out all the 10s out there. No signs of slowing down. All right. We've got a lot of interesting topics. Where do you want to start? So let's start with YouTube, because I think it's an interesting topic for us to discuss. Being that we're not YouTube native and that we very much play in like the short form world, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. Um, and I know our focus really has been Instagram. And so there's two things going on right now with YouTube. One is that the meta is changing. And even somebody from the outside looking in, uh, it's clear that it's going from retention editing, you know, the Mr. Beastification of YouTube to a more laid back, raw, authentic, long form style. So we'll talk about that. But let's first start with the idea that a ton of YouTubers are actually quitting. And these guys are, I mean, they're probably pulling in eight, nine figures, some of them. These are behemoths uh, that basically their entire life and business revolved around YouTube. And now they're falling back from the platform, falling back from their roles as YouTubers. Matty uh, Hajapaj, I should, I should have researched his name before this. Hapoya, uh, Hapoya. Hapoya. <laughs> Matty Hapoya, Matt Pat, Tom Scott. So many YouTubers are pushing back. And before I... Uh, I switch it over to you. These guys, Matt, Pat, and Tom Scott were like mainstream media news. This was trending all over the internet and I've never heard of them nor ever seen one of their videos. And I realized, damn, I'm out of touch. Like maybe that's why I'm not good at YouTube because I am not in tune with the culture whatsoever. Um, but YouTubers are quitting. Why? Yeah, I mean, this was a good wake-up call for me of like, holy shit, YouTube's way bigger than I thought because I didn't know those guys either. I knew I knew Maddie or I'd like seen Maddie's videos, but I always kind of thought of him as like, all right, he's like Peter McKinnon Jr. Kind of, it was like the yeah, two right, of them, right. but, but I never knew the other two. And I think after watching like some of a lot of these different videos, what's interesting is I forget who the first person to make this type of video. There was one, oh, it was Matt Devella, which we talked about a couple episodes mm -hmm. ago. He was the first one to kind of make this like, I'm not quitting, but like I'm slowing down. I'm getting rid of the yep. team. I'm going back to the, and then it was like dominoes after that yep. video came out, they all did it. And it's almost to me, what it signals is like YouTube is much harder time wise, like process wise than let's say making short form video, I think. And so these guys were just grinding and like they were in this, they've built amazing businesses. You would think the compounding curve, like it takes so long on that flat part. Once you see inflection, that's when you don't want to quit. You want to like double down. So you'd think a lot of them, it was getting easier for them. But I actually think the issue is the the one that I watched the, the most of was the guy from, uh, I think it's called CineNet. I forget, I don't know his name, but like he has like 3 million followers. He makes a lot of like filmmaking and, and video videos. And he was just like, the reason I love this was I love the craft of making videos. I love being creative. And now my job has evolved into managing 20 people, even though there's a ton of money coming in for these guys. Like they're not, it doesn't seem like they are ever business first guys. Like they, they care about business and care about success, obviously, but like they more in it for the craft. And when a lot of these artists have had to shift into these business roles, it caused this dissension stress. They really didn't enjoy it. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, 
the journey is the big part of it, right? A lot of, a yeah. lot of people, again, like we talked about, I think two episodes ago, people are a fan of creators on YouTube, whereas on TikTok, people are, a fan of tic- people are fans of TikTok uh, and, and sort of the digital cocaine that they receive from, from that platform. So with YouTube, it's like, man, I, I see it. Uh, I, don't, I don't have so much of a relationship with any YouTubers uh, per se, uh, but I see it with my wife and a lot of my friends who like follow these people at, as if they were their friends. And so I think it is important for them to not only share the journey and the process, but I think, especially in Matt Devella's video, so many creators around the world probably resonated with that. And I think it was just helpful to hear because I think Devella and others, they fall into some sort of a trap where they, they just like, okay, I have 2 million subscribers now. This is the route that all successful YouTubers before me take. Now it's time to build a team together, grow this enterprise, scale, more output, uh, branch off into digital products. That are, like Ali Abdal is a prototype of this. He's a great example of this. And I think uh, that, that's why that video was so interesting because it went through the contrast of Abdal versus Devella. But I think, and JT Barnett uh, tweeted or put it on a story the other day, something that I agreed with too. He's like, he's seeing this trend of creative entrepreneurs that have decided I would rather make 1 million a year, 2 million a year, and do what I want to do at all times and spend all the time with my family and friends and getting the stuff I want to do versus make $7 million a year and be miserable doing something that I don't want to do and that I'm just doing it because this is the expectation. This is sort of the path that has been laid out. This is what I'm supposed to do, quote unquote. And so I think like that Devella thing was, was to me, it was brilliant. I think he made that decision. I mean, he's, first of all, it's not like poor guy. He's making a shit ton of money, right? Yeah. So he's probably making that decision. It's like, do I want to make two or three million a year and live the best, dopest life ever doing what I want to do? Or do I want to, you know, scale my enterprise into a $20, $30 million a year revenue machine where I'm literally miserable? I, you know, and like, that's a good question to, to, to pose nowadays. And obviously a question, a very privileged question, like for the 0.01%. Yeah. Something I was thinking about, which is which is kind of interesting. So I used to work a corporate job, and the until you work as a creator, what what people who work corporate jobs don't realize is like the trajectory path or like expectation for a corporate job in terms of the way your like dopamine releases and like how your expectations flow is it's very much like peaky in terms of okay when you work a corporate job you're trying to either hit a promotion or like accomplish this project and so everything you do leads up to this moment of either getting that promotion or getting that project and then the work kind of throttles down for a while and you like go back into this low so the graph if you were to draw it is kind of like this where you're just you're just trying to hit these peaks but as a creator it's completely different it's like there isn't i mean yes there are milestones but it's like there's no peak it's just like this forever and so what that the, the struggle with that i think is if you're going from corporate job to creator, you have to, or corporate job to entrepreneur, you have to switch your mind from like, I'm sprinting to hit a goal so that I can then chill and sprint for the next one. You have to switch that to like, I'm always on. Like, this is just going to be a climb up Kilimanjaro forever. And you, the reason you get into it is because A, you like climbing, and B, at the top of Kilimanjaro is way higher than what these local peaks that you could get from working a corporate job would be. And so I think like this is something that I've experienced in this first year doing this full time is like, wow, like it is, it really is a completely different perspective. Like you cannot put too much energy and anxiety in trying to hit these local maximums because you're just going to have to keep grinding, keep going. And a lot of these guys on YouTube, guys and girls on YouTube, I think what they realize is just that grind wears you down. 
Like it just it just wears you down over time. And so they they kind of want to like take their foot off the gas. Now, like you said, lucky for them, they are not lucky, but good good on them. Like they've made almost everyone who's dropped these videos has made a ton of money. Like especially like Matt Pat, he has like 18 million followers across yeah. many channels. Like, dude, they're set forever. So this is a matter of like you said, it I think it's just leveling with the audience in terms of a lot of these had a little clickbaity of titles, but really it was just like, hey, I'm stress, I'm struggling, I'm stressed, and I need a break, and like this is what to expect. Yeah, I mean, from the outside looking in, I'll make a prediction here on uh, weekends episode ten. I think they'll all be back, um, the ones who actually quit or said they're stepping back forever, because again, you know, just from the limited knowledge that I have on them, it's it's clear to me that they're true storytellers and they love this and they love this craft. And as, when it comes to storytelling, unless you're going to start making movies for the big screen and try to get into the film festivals, like YouTube is the medium. There is no better medium to tell your stories uh, than on YouTube. And so my uh, intuition is that they will eventually be back. But again, they also left after building the machine. So Matt Pat still now has a, it, it's a, a business that's on cruise control. So he's not necessarily, he's kind of like Bezos leaving Amazon. He was the visionary that uh, put it together. Now that it's built, he has the luxury of stepping back. You know, he's put in that hard work. Um, the other one I'm not so familiar with, it seemed like his channel is more based around him than on a brand. So I, I may be mistaken. But I can totally understand why these guys are, are stepping back. I don't know that it's necessarily burnout. I just think that, you know, in life, you always just go through seasons and stages. You have different interests, different priorities. And they may just be prioritizing, uh, you know, their families or wanting to take up hobbies or just, you know, this is all they know. Some of these guys have been on YouTube 12, 15 years. And this is very much so all they know for their adult professional lives. And so uh, kudos to them. Kudos, I mean, they, they did it. You know, I, to me, it's yeah. like... It's like MJ retiring, you know, game six after that. It's like, I got nothing left to prove. I did it. So. Yeah. This is also why it's never too late to start making YouTube videos or whatever, because I think there is an arc where it's like somebody starts, they grow, they get big, they extract value, they monetize, they get burnt out, they take a break, they maybe post less. And like, there's always more space. It's not as though, I mean, you would think people, once they got to, 10, 20 million subscribers, they would want to keep going to like occupy that market share that they've earned. But I just think human, yeah, like you said, human nature is in season. So it's very cyclical, which means there's always new room. It's, it'll never be saturated because the more successful people will want to take their foot off the gas. Like they're, unless you really love the craft for the craft, which some do, but not all, you know, so it's never too late. Correct. No, that's well said. And uh, yeah, that is human nature seasons, right? We used to forage for berries and food and resources in, in the spring and, you know, hunker down in the winter. Um, so I love to see it. And I'm glad that they shared. I wanted to make that distinction in that I think it's important for the journey and it's important for other creators to know it. This isn't the holier than thou Facebooker who says I'm too good for social media. I'm quitting. You guys are bad. I'm good. Bye. And then they come back seven days later or whatever. Uh, I think it's I think it's very different. I'm glad that they shared this because I think a lot of creators are probably struggling with the same, um, you know, the, the the same sort of trajectory or mindsets and everything else that comes with being a creator. Yeah. Let's talk about the Sam Sulek stuff. So this is this is what you alluded to as well, which is kind of like this idea of YouTube is changing, which is this really interesting topic to dive into. If you make content or watch YouTube, honestly, you've probably felt it. So Sam Sulek, for people who don't know, is this absolute monster guy he's a bodybuilder he i think he's like 19 or 20 um he's not natural i think he's a, he's admitted that he's definitely taking steroids but he's got this amazing i mean this crazy rise on youtube where his format is pretty unique and basically he'll 
he'll put the phone on and like raw long record his like stream of conscious thought either driving to the gym for 30 minutes driving home from the gym sometimes he's in the gym like posing he'll have the phone on a tripod but it's very like very low edit very raw and he's gained millions of of followers and subscribers on many platforms this guy's got to be pulling in so much money given the duration of the content people love him and it's like it's i think he's the one that kind of kick-started this new meta right which is like oh maybe videos don't need to be super highly edited and polished instead they can be more raw and authentic and like you know kind of like sam sulek style and so we started seeing like you mentioned a couple pods ago ali abdal posted a video that was very much this it was a little bit more edited than sam sulex but like very much more raw and authentic kind of vlog style and you're seeing this in other places i want to get your thoughts on this whole thing at the highest level in terms of like new meta but i have i have a couple a couple of things as well but what 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 is this to you like is this kind of how it's shifting what are you what are you seeing i think the meta is definitely right but i'm going to explain why i believe the meta is changing um sam sulek is interesting because Sam Sulek is going to breed a million failed Sam Suleks who think they can just turn on a camera and talk and things are going to happen. It's not going to happen for them. The reason why Sam Sulek is Sam Sulek, I forget who said this quote. It was either like Gary Vee or Tate or Hermosi. Somebody said this quote where they were like, an elephant isn't that interesting by itself. A unicycle isn't that interesting by itself. But an elephant riding a unicycle, that's fucking interesting. That's (laughs) Sam Sulek. He's young as shit, 19, 20, 21 years old. He's jacked beyond belief, and he is an unbelievable philosopher. Like, he has a very poetic, philosophical mind, and the way that he speaks is very graceful. It is like, it's kind of like Hormozy, this jacked business guy. We haven't really seen it. It's now Sam Sulek. And so, to me, it's what we always talk about. It's the format. It's this union or this marriage of two things that generally would, like, you don't expect to, uh, to come together. And so that, to me, is why Sam Sulek is Sam Sulek. It's not the format of the content, him just turning out the camera. I think if he was, like, had a little bit of retentive, uh, retentive editing or more cinematic, he would have popped just the same because it's him. 100%. Right? Um, now, when we talk about YouTube changing, I definitely agree with this, and I see this in the behavior of all of my friends and people and nieces and nephews and, like, cousins and everybody in my circle. It's like the way that – and my wife – the way that they consume YouTube, as I've talked about before, is on another tab, is on another screen, is on their iPad, their phone, their laptop, whatever, while they're working, while they're occupied with something else. And so they're not even watching, really, what's going on the screen. And so that's another big unlock, I think, with this new YouTube meta, is that people are, and now it obviously depends, like Mr. Beast is an entertainer, nobody's just going to listen to Beast, that's a visual spectacle. So it depends on who you are, and again, it's, all, it's never easy to, to give a blanket statement because there's so many nuances and, and variables to the creator world. But that's why I think this meta is excelling, is because of the nature of the platform and the behavior of the people who consume YouTube. And I'll say this last point, I'm kind of going to start leaning into this, I think, where it's like I have a bigger YouTube vision, but I know that this isn't the time for me to do it. I need more resources. I need like maybe next year, but this year I was thinking about just uploading me talking. I did a couple in the last two days, not that they're performing very well, but the way that people are consuming them again is in another tab is more audio than it is visual. So I, I love this and I think creators should be leaning into, into that. Yeah. I mean, this feels much more approachable as a, as an entryway in or like a model for it. I've seen your couple last two videos and I like them. I like, I like them a lot, honestly. Like it's just, 
it's so much more personable. I feel like it's less like distraction on the screen and way more like, yo, here's what I know. And like, let me tell you what I know. I think Pograb, Zach Pograb's doing the same thing with his like obsession year stuff, which is funny because I hadn't seen his video. We talked about him last week, but I hadn't really seen him. He was doing this since Jan 1 and he's doing it every day. He's posting a video like live vlogging on YouTube, but he's not a video editor. So just like Sam Sulek, the reason why Sam Sulek's format was raw isn't because he had some YouTube master strategy. It was because he didn't know how to edit. And he was like, I just want to put this out there. Zach's the exact same way. And his stuff is, he's turning the camera on, talking about obsession. I think what's interesting is, and maybe this isn't true. I'm kind of like live workshopping this, but when people don't have something interesting to say, they hide behind a for, an over-edited format, right? Because they're like, I want this to be engaging, but the content I'm saying is not that engaging. And so let me use graphics and animations and cuts and zooms to get, to keep your attention, almost like to game you. But the, these people we're talking about, Sam Sulak, Zach, what you're doing, it's like, no, the content is actually so valuable that we don't need to use over-edited like formats to retention like to retention grab you, we're just going to have you watch and you're going to stay watching because it's interesting. Like it, you're actually a, a practitioner of this logic. And so that's, it's a really interesting like gameplay because the answer is no matter how deep I get down this hole, the answer is you got to just do whatever comes naturally to you and don't worry too much about what has worked for other people and other combinations of things because I just think it's a distraction. Like Sam Sula can win with, poetic fitness content with super raw almost no editing mr beast can win with super high data high crazy editing you can win in the middle like what you have to do though is just pick the combination of things that feels right to you and then just not stop i think a lot of people they do it for too short of a time or like they'll they'll try a couple things and not be consistent with it and like me saying that is good to preach to like both of us right because like we we have something with short form that's working but maybe that's not the right path. Maybe it is. You know, we're thinking about pivoting. Maybe we shouldn't. Like it's all of this, like all of this wrapped up into like, it really comes down to just consistency and then picking a format that you feel good about and then letting the chips fall. Like you got to increase the storytelling and the value of the words more so than trying to gain someone's attention. But yeah, I mean, I think this is, it's so interesting to see how things are evolving. I will say though, your point about a million failed Sam Sulex is 100% right. And I think the, the thing is there's going to be a lot of people that learn the wrong lesson from this. The lesson they learn is like, oh, I can spend less time and less effort putting stuff out that'll still do well. That's what people look at Sam Sulek and think. That's not true. That's just not going to work. Like the, the reason his stuff does well, like you said, is because he's an elephant on a unicycle. And because he, the value of the words he's saying is so high that the, that the editing doesn't need to get in the way. So... Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, I've watched your last two videos on YouTube and I like them. Are Is your plan to like do two or three of those a week and just stay on that vibe and try to like grow slow that way on YouTube or what, what's, what's the thought? I think so, possibly. I mean, one of the things that I always preach um, as a creator and for creators is this idea that you always got to be experimenting and evolving, right? You never can, um, even though if you find something that, that works, obviously lean into it. But generally, when something works, it doesn't mean it's going to work forever, you know. And another another thing that I'll attribute to this meta is just basic general audience fatigue. You know, audiences change. I, like when you think of an audience or an algorithm, usually we, we almost think of it as like this this uh, mechanical sort of like industrious body. They're just people, man. They're just living, breathing people. 
And with people, your interests change. Um, you know, there, there is obviously fatigue to some formats, to, to people, to, I mean, to anything. And so me anecdotally, this overly edited sort of crazy retentive crackhead editing style, like I'm swiping now, I'm scrolling. I can almost not stand it. I'm like very, very fatigued to it. Um, and I feel like that probably is just happening, you know, to, to the greater population. So that could just be another, you know, general pendulum swinging there, um, on YouTube, to attribute sort of Sam Sulek's rise. Another guy who's done this really well is Dan Coe. And so this is what I was suggesting with you with your blueprint newsletter, because I think that's one of the highest signal things on the internet. Um, not everybody likes to read newsletters. Not everybody opens their inbox, whatever. Some people, again, want that same value, but being prescribed to them in a different tab, right? Or in their headphones while they're on their Stairmaster, right? whatever it might be. And so I just wanted to trial it out. The, also, the great thing about YouTube that I don't have like a big audience there and I'm not like good at it yet, it reduces a lot of the, um, what would be the word? Not like stress, but so, sort of like the, the pressure. Fear, like the fear, yeah. Yeah, like I feel like I can post whatever on YouTube and I don't really care whether it gets 10 views or 10,000. Like it doesn't really matter because it's not, again, I, I, the audience that I hold most dearest uh, to my heart and closest to me is Instagram. I value it the most just because I feel like that is my HQ as a creator. That is the platform of choice for me. Uh, and so I really value that audience. I don't want to, I, I don't ever want to like break trust within that audience. So I care more. And there is that extra and added pressure when it comes to me. Like I don't want to put anything that's like a four out of 10 anymore. Whereas before when I was starting on Instagram, if anybody followed me like a, exactly a year ago, last January, February, March, I was just putting everything and anything. I did not care. And now I care. I think I've fallen into a trap. With YouTube, I don't, like, there's no pressure at all. I'll put anything there. I just want to experiment. Let's see what works, what doesn't. So I'm very much in that iterative phase. And so I'm trying it out just because, like you said, um, the barrier to entry is a lot lower. I can just record now. I can read off my teleprompter, edit the A-roll, and post. I'm not editing. There's no cuts. There's, there's nothing. Um, and I find that sort of liberating in a way. And I do think because of the behavior of YouTube consumers, it could actually work because people just want to, it's almost like an audio experience. Yeah. I, I like the one you did with the four, like four uh, lesser known camera items. I, f I forget how you titled it, but I like that one a lot. Cause it was, you didn't know, you almost didn't even need the cuts cause you were showing the items and it like, that was all that it was required to keep, keep attention. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta get the teleprompter set up and start doing the Danco style with the blueprint. That's, totally, that's something that's, yeah, totally. that's something that's on yeah. the list. Do you want to, so given the, that, that's a nice natural segue to the Instagram stuff. Do you want to talk about that or do you want to take a different topic? Cause uh, let's do it. Cause I, th I think this is important. So, um, so I was working with, uh, NVIDIA Asus and, uh, they gifted me a laptop and I decided to give it away to my audience just because I, I don't need the laptop. I have over there two PCs with 4090s. I just, I don't, I don't need this extra laptop. I literally never use it. So I was like, this will be dope for a giveaway. I was inspired by a couple of creators. One is named Maddie K. There's another one that I came across on Instagram called Chill Rog. And they were doing like giveaways left and right. And so I was like, oh, this is dope. I'll do a giveaway. Easy way to grow my audience. Um, and it sort of builds that affinity and trust, that connection, uh, whatever audience to creator. Then I realized, wait a second, this is working too well. <laughs> I know it's like a good problem to have, but I <laughs> thought maybe it would get like you know, half a million views. I don't know, 20,000 followers. But right now it's at like 4 million views and it's and it's... I think I'm up to like 60,000 followers now that it's uh, influx into my account. Before I started this, I was at 280. Now I think I'm at, let me, let me double check. I think it might be literally like, yeah, like almost 350. 
It's crazy. So, 70,000 followers, which is, uh, it, it's, what's the math there? Like 20% of my starting following. It'll probably end at By another 50,000 or something. So it'll probably end at like 30, 35% of my audience. And I think that's actually a detriment for two reasons. One, the scientific, the mathematical reason, how the algorithms work. These people are coming in based on an incentive, not because they like me or my content or they want more or they found me valuable. It's purely incentive-based. And so the content that I put out from here on out, the algorithm is going to show uh, disproportionately to the new followers that have come in. More than likely, again, because they didn't come in from my content, they're not going to be that engaged or interested in it, right? Like um, I'm probably not going to make video game content or whatever. And so naturally that may just be a negative hit against me algorithmically. And again, like that, that is of detriment. The positives is say like 100,000, 150,000 new followers come in. Maybe 30,000 of those do like my content, maybe less, maybe a lot more. And so it is a net positive, an additive, no matter kind of how you look at it. And also, but to me, it doesn't feel right. My uh, attraction for brands to work with me now will be higher, right? Because if I'm at like 400,000 followers, that looks better than 280. Unfortunately, yeah. I, we, we always say followers don't matter. But the only reason that they still do matter is like, the naive marketers, so to speak. Um, and so there's good, there's bad to it. I can see why these creators just do giveaways like nonstop and they get to millions of followers. Um, and then, you know, like the chill rogs of the world, they're, they're working with like every big tech brand in the world, probably getting like top dollar for the brand deals. So I can see why that's attractive. I feel like long-term it isn't very sustainable unless you continue to just drop giveaways, which is again, like you're not building any real personal connection. So um, there's, there's good, there's bad to it. I'm not like, angry that I did it, but I am a little worried and it's put a little added pressure on me to like come out with bangers over the next month to make sure that I retain these followers and that they don't churn or become inactive. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the moment, I would say like from an outside perspective, it's probably not as bad as it seems mostly because the, the, the core follow, like the core 80% that you do have is still going to be super engaged with almost everything you put out. And so even though you might lose a little algorithm juice initially, and maybe some of these new people will churn, I don't think it's it's as bad as if it was like 50-50 or like more than 50% came from these giveaways or like you had started a fresh account with the giveaways and there's almost no engagement history there. So I think it should be fine. But to your point, what's really interesting is like, you know how people say they'll like start a bit, they'll start a, they'll start an agency and like after two months, they'll be like, oh, well, at a, this is 30K MRR. So that's 200K ARR. So like on an 8X multiple, I've actually just created like 2.5 million of enterprise value, whatever, like they say that. That's what's interesting here is like that one giveaway did create some dollar value of enterprise value for you as you go to brands. And like, if you were to extrapolate that out in terms of like the increased revenue you could make from brand deals if you did them once a month or whatever from that new incremental 60k so that's that's kind of like an interesting thought experiment to be like okay in the moment there are some pros some cons like we'll see if those followers engage but like at the surface level if you zoom all the way out this 3600 laptop did end up generating some value of enterprise some some enterprise value that's like much many multiples above that which is kind of interesting right like but if you do it too much, like you said, no brand will work with you because the engagement will be so low on your channel that those dollars will never come in. So there's like a fine line. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I like clicked on your profile because I was tagging you in something and I was like, holy shit, did he, didn't he just have like 280,000 followers? And then it's just, yeah, dude, I, I didn't even, it, I didn't even really realize that. 
people love giveaways, you know? And like, honestly, the, there's a couple strategic moves that I can do. Like once, and once the giveaway is complete, I'm sure a lot of these followers will churn. Um, but then I could always be like, you know, I'll probably do a couple of these a year if y'all want to stick around. But then again, they're sticking around on an incentive based. And my big thing when it comes to anything in life is sustainability. It is, as we talked about before, I can, we can get a million followers easily if we want to spend 30 grand. Uh, hey, this is case in point, $3,600 laptop is going to bring in a hundred thousand followers. You do that five times. Um, but there's also giveaway loops that are probably in our inbox that these celebrity giveaway loops. I don't know if you've ever seen them. A lot of these like Dubai circuit guys, they all have like millions of followers because of these celebrity giveaway loops, but there's no engagement. They all have to turn off their likes, bought their, bought their comments and buy, and like, it's, it's, it's such a, it's a fraud, really. It's a shit show. Um, yeah. Lost my train of thought there. Yeah, if you see the uh, likes turned off, that's probably a good sign that someone <laughs> yeah. like bullshitted their followers. Totally. So, um, yeah, man. To me, it's uh, it's all about sustainability, and it's and it's all like I've. That's the only reason I'm worried. It's like I've worked very hard to an audience that I've accrued through value. I've not accrued through any algorithm hacks, through any tr- tricks. I've not even done one of these like uh, two second videos that are like, I grew 400,000 followers. Here's how in the caption that are taking advantage of the AVD and loop through it. Like there's been no tricks, no hacks. It's all just been value. And I've been proud of that. And this is the first time where I feel like a little, uh, inauthentic through, um, through how I've grown. But again, like I, uh, you know, overthinking. Um, and I think ultimately as long as I continue to Keep coming out with good value, good content. Everything will be cool, you know. So yeah, it'll be it'll be good. Yeah. Two thoughts on that. So wait, is that why people are doing the the average view duration? Is that why people are doing those ones where this says go in the comments because they're gaming the app? Explain that exactly, hundred percent. So um, I didn't realize that's why they some were of doing the, some that. of the biggest metrics. Um, you know, like everything kind of plays into account, and these algorithms are getting a lot smarter, so they become a, a harder to game. But AVD is probably still one of the most important metrics. Average view duration. And, um, so if you're doing like a, this is why short videos were working a little bit better on Instagram, TikTok, but then like their platforms are trying to move away from them because they're so much harder to monetize. Um, but if you're watching hundred percent of a video and you're looping it and you're looping it multiple times, not only does Instagram now count, like if I watch one of your videos 20 times, Instagram's going to count that as 20 views now. Um, and so not only is the loop valuable, but the average view duration is 100%. And so people were gaming this by putting these like three second videos out and they were like, read the, and you know, they were teasing the value or the teasing the, the proposition of the piece of content. And they were like, this is how I've grown or this is how I've done this thing. This is how I've made $100,000. If you want my sister, I'm going to explain to you in the caption below. And so that was just an easy way to sort of game the algorithm. And that's why, mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed, that was a time where you'd go on Instagram reels and everybody was just Yeah, it was all over the place. Exactly. Um, and so there's, there's always little algorithm tricks and trends like that, that you can take advantage of. There's trend Jack and there's all these things that you can do, but I just, I've always felt like anything beyond just putting out really, really valuable stuff is a bit gimmicky and not sustainable in the long term. See, I thought that's funny. I thought they were doing that because it just took less time to make a video where you don't actually have to have B-roll assets and you can way easier write something in the caption. So I was like, oh, it's just an easy way for them to like put out a really short, easy video to make. But that makes a lot of sense. I would think they would have made the algorithm where it's like it's engaged seconds versus percent completed. Cause like if if we put out a 90 second video and someone only watches half, but that's 45 engaged seconds versus someone puts out a five second video and they watch the full thing, but that's only five engaged set. I would think they would have built it that way. But that, that makes 
That makes a lot of sense. Because I, I saw they that. probably implemented something like that because I see them less and less now. Yeah. I saw those everywhere, though. There was like yeah. a period, to your point, exactly, where like every yeah. video, I was like, why are they, this isn't even like native to the feed. Like, like it's not even a good experience at all. Okay. So that makes, that makes by, a lot of by sense. By the way, a quick point there, TikTok has kind of done this through the creativity program. It's not like people think a qualified view is any view for a video that's a minute longer. It's actually the qualified view. There's some math there. First of all, they have to watch a certain amount and they have to be engaged in some way. I don't know if it's like a tap in the share, comment, like, um, but I've seen this before and where I've had a, mid- a video do like 2 million views. That was a minute plus, but the qualified views is only like 400,000. And so I did some digging and I realized like TikTok has baked this into that algorithm. Um, so like, otherwise, you know, you can put a 10 minute video up on TikTok. Somebody watches two seconds. That's not a qualified view, right? Yeah. And yeah. you could just game it, add noise to the end of every video. So like TikTok was smart about this. I'm assuming Instagram has tweaked their algorithm in some way, uh, to account for that as well. Yeah. Well, one, one last point on this. So now that you know, I've, cause I, I think maybe you've tried giveaways in the past. I've like had a giveaway before and it didn't really do that well, but I think there's like a certain type of product that does really well. And then a certain dollar value, like you said, it was 3,600. So that's and above a certain whatever threshold. style. Yeah. Cause I did style. a giveaway once before a road mic giveaway and I took like seven seconds to introduce it like a dummy. Hey guys. So road sent me these products and I've just, yeah, like, yeah. Nobody cares. <laughs> Uh, and so that one didn't do anything. I think I got literally like 40 followers or something from it. But then I studied these creators and I realized what the style is. You get right to the point. I'm giving away this. Da, 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 and like I had the movement and I, it was like up and down and it was like cool visuals. It was get everybody. Dude, this is another topic we should talk about. The adoration of video games on the Internet and how that very much powers culture. Yeah. Those YouTubers that we talked about, Markiplier, all these other guys that I don't really they're know all about. But they're the biggest in the world. It's games, dude. Games is the games is like a super cheat code. Uh, anyways, that's an aside. We could talk, touch on that later, but there is a strategy to this giveaway that I, that I studied it and I cracked. Um, so if you wanted to run one, that's the way to do it. There's so much game. There's so much game in this, in this podcast. What, Cause what I was going to say is now that you know, the giveaways work, obviously doing it on your personal channel where you're trying to like build max quality, you know, hindsight's 2020, 20, but like that, I guess in the future that makes less sense, but doing it on metaverse and a Luna where you're trying to just grow them as fast as possible. You still want quality, but like at this point, it's just anybody that's interested in those topics at all, you would take on there. Now yeah. it's really interesting, right? Cause you now know the strategy. So yo, if you're looking well, for a gaming well, laptop <laughs> with metaverse is interesting. Like it's, it's so funny cause I'm sitting on what I think could become like a really valuable uh, media property and I'm spending like 10 minutes a, <laughs> a week on it. Um, I, I should actually like build a sales team for it, but I was thinking, do, do I want to niche it down even further? And I was actually thinking like metaverse should be like a gaming channel like a Dexerto, because again, there's so much money and attention on it um, that, and then I could run like a lot of giveaways for gaming companies, gaming, et cetera, and like just build it up into something massive. Um, but there, there is something there. And I think that's an interesting point that you brought up. Do you find that like, <clears throat> for example, metaverse is another open loop in your mind. It maybe it only takes 10, 20 minutes a week, but like as you're looking through content, you're like constantly thinking like, okay, I can't use that for video, but I should use it for metaverse. All right, let them add this. Let me add that to the list. Let me make a asset like it's just it's another open loop and so because for me i'm treating like that snapchat thing the same way where it's like okay this could work on a five-year time horizon or two-year time horizon i could be making a couple thousand bucks a month from the snapchat shit but the problem is those stories the stories i'm looking for for snapchat are like there's zero overlap with what i'm looking for for short form video it's like clickbaity it could be political it could be like anything celebrity driven it's just the opposite of what i'm looking for and so if if I have the Snapchat loop open and I have my normal content loop open, 
it's like a, it's like noise. I'm, I'm unable to get real crystal, crystal clear on like what would a high signal video be because I'm still kind of spending cycles looking for those Snapchat stories and I'm spending, even though it's only 15 minutes a day, it's, it's still against what I'm trying to do elsewhere. So do you feel like, do you feel that tension? Like it, it makes you waste focus or not really? You're, you're Every, just good at Everything in my life. Dude, this has been my, uh, I think Einstein had a quote, like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different results. So I think by definition, I'm insane because I've been spread so thin now for, for so long that I've actually, uh, we should have this creative brainstorm too. I want to ask you about it as well. How we feel like, what is the direction we want to go in? We know that if we put 100% of our energy, time and resources into something, it's going to explode. I think that's really the only way to do it is if you want to build something of any significance, you have to uh, be all in. So I'm now like, I'm trying to maybe give myself a deadline, maybe, I don't know, May 1st, June 1st or something to come up with a strategy because I know for sure that if I'm doing 10 things at once, that that's a losing formula. Um, and so is it like, okay, going all in on the media side and then building polls to do this? Is it, is it just making content around content? We put a course out there and like the whole thing just becomes like a Justin Welsh sort of funnel system where we're just maximizing con content output in, in hopes to, you know, in, to, to lead magnet and, uh, get people into our funnel machine and then just sell courses and do micro education. Um, is it, do is it like tech and video game content creating? That's just like infinite brand deal after brand deal after brand deal. And that's how you, I don't know. Right. And so this is why I love talking about this on our pod. Cause I know for a fact, so many other people are, are going through the same thing. So I kind of wanted to ask you, and this is a two parted question. The other part is on movement. I think every great creator starts a movement, you know, through, you know, word idea association, whatever it is. Do you think that all this stuff should be forced strategically or does it have to be organic and you just have to put in the time and reps and it'll come to you over time? Or, or how do you, how do you think about it? Um, I, think I know you've struggled through like similar, I, I don't want to call it a dilemma, but like a similar, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I would say it's a dilemma, <laughs> a, sim a similar, uh, a similar catastrophe. <laughs> no, I, I think, I think it has to be a little, it's a little bit of both where it's, it's, you have to let yourself wander until the discovery, like until the Eureka moment, but then you have to strategize and force yourself through the pinhole. So like the way I'm thinking of it right now is mm, I like that if we were starting from scratch, absolute scratch, to, to try to put, and this is what most people do, to try to put a strategy on top of nothing is actually just a waste of time because you don't have anything. You don't even know what you could do that would resonate with the market. So like most people over strategize and then they get analysis paralysis because they the strategy is the more fun thing because it actually doesn't require much work, right? It's just thinking. And so that's what most people do. So I actually think in the beginning, the best thing to do is no strategy and just wander and just throw work at the wall. And that's like, what we basically have done, right? Yes. It's make videos, it's it's write, it's whatever the content format, or it doesn't have to be content. Like Brandon, Brandon Wang, Brandino, I talked to him this week. He didn't even really start with content. He kind of started with making physical products and he was like wandering, trying to figure out like he started with clothing. And then he's like, well, there's no differentiation in clothing and it's going to be really hard. Even though he bought a shit ton of inventory, he was like, no, nah, that's not going to work. I got to go to like housewares, which is what he ended up doing, like the lamp and the, the, drip, the metal, liquid metal. So the point is like, you got to wander initially with no creative constraint at all. But as soon as you get some signal that feels right, that's when you need to shift from wander mode to like, 
okay, let's yes. put the strategy on top and like only focus on that strategy for five to 10 years, which is now what we see Zach Pograb doing, right? He was kind of wandering for a while. Like he was five he, years, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think he kind of, he kind of knew he wanted to do something in like the productivity behavior hacking. I mean, his name was behavior hack for a while, yeah. but as soon as he came up with obsession, he let it cook for like a couple months. I, I listened to him on a podcast. He was kind of like, yeah, I came up with the obsession thing and then I kind of just like was playing around with it, testing it. And then as soon as he said the one tweet that gave him the signal was like, he said, if you're into obsession, put a black flag in your profile. Cause he was like, black flag's going to be the icon. And he I said like that. 200 people did it. I was one of the people that did it. I like took a screenshot and I was just like, fuck yeah, I like this guy. And as soon as he got that signal back, he's like, all right, that's it. I'm building everything on obsession. The entire strategy is around obsession. I'm not going to wander anymore. And I think that's how you have to approach it. And so like, for me, for example, I don't know if you read the latest blueprint I sent out yesterday, I think, but the the movement that I want to dedicate to, I'm calling like world builders. So basically, we've been talking a lot about create, like we said this on the last pod, creators. Creator is such a broad word. It's like creator to me is like breathing air. It's like you could have a content creator, you could have a cabinet creator, you could have an architect, which is basically a home creator. Creator is way too broad. Anybody who makes yep. anything is a creator. An entrepreneur is anyone who has any business. Those are too broad of terms. And right. so the the audience, what I think is helpful if you want to build a movement is think about like what people you want to follow that movement. And you can figure out the like the lexicon and like the words and the framing and like the obsession. You can think about that after you pick who's going to be the followers of this cult. And so for me, the what I feel like I want to be and the people that I want to spend time with are what I call world builders. And so what's the difference between a creator and a world builder? To me, a world builder is like, have you ever seen that that Walt Disney map where he draws the all the shit in the Disney universe? Yeah, man, yeah. That's a world builder. So it's like you, a world builder is you have many projects, experiences, services, products that all tie together. And it so happens that usually content is the glue that helps project that ethos and like connect them. But anybody who wants to build a world that you would you could literally map out all the different things you do that's who i want to follow whatever cult i'm building so i'm just calling it world builders for now but i'm sure there's like lots of other little phrases and idioms and shit you could add to it so it took me a while to get there though like i've kind of been meandering like i said i was making new tech and cult brands but and i was always circling around it but i never really had a good clarity for what it is so and I don't know what the products and services and experiences and projects are fully going to be yet, but I know that world builders is kind of at the, at the center. And so because I now know that I'm like, okay, now it's time to like, let's put the strategy on and like, let's go heavy in the strategy. And I just came up with this like conversion into wandering to strategy, like in the last week or so. So I still don't have the strategy ironed out yet, but we can talk about the options we have. Um, for it, but that's kind of how I think about it. Does that resonate? I love it. There's two things that you said that I think are really valuable. One is, well, first on that Walt Disney map, one thing that I always think about that map is like, there's a very, there's a central like core, which is the engine. And for Disney, it was, he, he nailed it early on. Great stories and great characters. Those are timeless. As long as we crack that, as long as we're the best in the world at that, everything else will fall into place, right? And I think, um, sort of like, let's call it the world building, the world that I want to build, like content is always going to be the engine, is always going to be the heart. So as long as I can continue delivering valuable content, I feel like everything else can be figured out. 
Um, the other great thing that you said that I completely agree with and any aspiring creator need to listen to this is that strategy is a waste of time at the beginning, especially when you're looking at creators who've already made it. What works for them is not going to work for you. Like strategy is a complete waste of time. You just need to start, start creating, start throwing shit at the wall, seeing what sticks, trying a million different things, seeing what resonates, seeing what works, seeing what people like, um, et cetera. And then once you find that signal, then you can start crafting strategy around that. So I completely agree with that. And I think that's right. Um, and so I'm, I'm still in the, it's funny cause I'm, I feel like even in 10 years, I'm going to be like, I'm still in freaking practice mode. Like I'm still wanting to try and experiment and try all different things. And I haven't found, like, I'm not at the point where I can strategize all in on one concept. This is exactly what I want to do. It's time to build. I'm still trialing different things and I'm still exploring a little bit, if that makes sense. But I am getting closer and closer to it. Um, But I would love to, you know, base my brand around a movement. I just don't know what that is yet. There's, yeah. you know, different ideas that are floating in my head. I don't know what that is yet. And I think the only way to do it is to get there organically. Can I make one more example? One more point? Yeah, yeah, let it fly. So Ryan Holiday, I don't know if you know him. I think we may have talked yeah, about him stoicism. before. He's like the stoicism king. He's attached his brand of stoicism. When you think stoicism, you think holiday. He's made an absolute fortune uh, based around this idea of stoicism, writing books on it, talking about Marcus Aurelius, et cetera. Holiday was the same thing. The first three, four, five years of his content career, he was actually writing about online journalism and writing about media manipulation and misinformation. One day, I don't know, three, four, five years into the journey, he added a piece on stoicism and people loved it. And he said, oh, there's something here. He leaned into it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more to all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is what I got to go all in, in on. He found that signal. He strategized, built an entire brand around that and became the stoicism guy. That's a great example. So Ted, anybody out there listening in my same shoes, who's like in a rush, what's my movement? What's my thing? What's my thing? I think it just, you, you get there organically through reps, through experience, through trial and error. Um, and, uh, you know, Ryan Holiday is a good testament to that. I think to this, this could be super valuable to people, which is like, okay, how do you, how do you put a framework is such a lame word, but like, how do you put a framework on what we just said? Basically the flow more or less, more or less the flow is, the first step is make a ton of content about a bunch of random things that you're interested in. Just like let yourself drift. At some point, you'll realize that there's either, I think it helps to start with like the who. So like who is the audience that I would want to follow me if I'm the cult leader of something, who do I want to follow? But it could be like the stoicism. He might he might not have thought, I want people who like stoicism to follow me. He might have instead resonated with like, I like stoicism. So that's the topic. So it's either an audience or a topic, but step one is just make a bunch of random shit. And that's what you and I were doing and are still kind of are. Then it's like distill the audience or topic that you really, really care about that you'd be happy building 10 years for. So that's step two. Step three is then you go back to wandering the content, but it's all designed for that audience or topic. So I haven't even started on step three, which is what that kind of like focus content. So it's kind of like step one, everything. I'll use me as the frame to like help explain the examples. Step one, make content about everything, tech, AI, fashion. I was all over the place. Step two is come up with an audience. So for me, it's like world builders. You and I are kind of like world builders. We want to build businesses and products that are all connected around a movement. Disney was a world builder. Okay, so world builders is this like idea that I'm interested in. Step three is now I need to make content across multiple verticals aimed at attracting world builders. So what could that look like? 
I think this podcast is that. I think Blueprint is that. I think the the shorts that I make where I kind of take a cult brand, ideally it would be one that like has built this kind of like world across multiple mediums. I could make a video about Walt Disney that's as a world builder, right? So it's, it's, it's how do I make content where everything I do is kind of like geared towards either educating, entertaining, or informing world builders, or in Ryan Holiday's case, stoicism. So he was like, how do I write or make videos or make podcasts all about educating and attracting people who are interested in stoicism. So that's step three. And I think you have to do step three for a while. Like that's how you build that kind of like kind of foundational engine. Then step four is you start building products and services for that audience, which is now warm because you've been making content for them. And that could look like, you know, in my case, let's say world builders, it could be, here's a way to think about, you know, like a, I don't want to do this, but like a course for like how you design how you create your own world or like here's a, here's the fashion brand for world builders or like here's the software tools for world builders or here's whatever the products that they would want. So it's still murky to me in terms of like how each of those are going to manifest. And to be honest, if I had to place myself in that stage one, two, three, four, I'm like just coming out of one into two where it's like I was making content all over the place. And now I kind of like this idea of world building. So where do I go from there? I think now I'm going to spend the next couple years making content specifically for that world building audience. And, and, and most of that is exactly what I've been doing, right? Cause we've been close. Like if you listen to this podcast, that's why we even said the tagline for this podcast at the beginning was building a world for world builders. Like that literally, that's what we were saying because it just so happens that that terminology describes perfectly the type of person that we're talking about. So yeah, I mean that to me, like that's a pretty clear roadmap for the steps that you should take to figure this out. Now, each step could take years. That's the thing. Most people want to speed through this and get to the product. So did I. But like, you have to wander for a long time in order to find something that you organically like. And I'm curious, I would love to go through this live exercise with you around like, is there anything yet to this point that has pulled you even close to be like, I could spend 10 years designing or making stuff for this specific group or not, or not even yet? In a way, I mean, one of the first things that comes to mind is for people interested in expressing themselves who are being limited by some sort of fear or some mental hurdle. So an easy way to say that is aspiring creators in a way. The only thing is, I feel like um, there, there's a little bit of a passion there, a calling to it, but it's not, and maybe I just have, it's, maybe it's like delusions of grandeur. I just have like a bigger idea of myself. I just feel like I could do, it, it's not, Maybe it's not of consequence enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you mean like in the grand scheme of the world? In the or grand to scheme you? of, yeah, like maybe more to me and, and the grand scheme of the world. Um, but then again, I mean, the, and, and this is that topic of creators. There's so many other ones that come to mind as well, like tech. I actually just love gear. I love gear. I love tech. I love tinkering with stuff. Today, I was actually just like the camera that I'm actually recording on right now, my Canon R5C. For no reason whatsoever. I'm not going to make a piece of content around it. Probably. Maybe I should now. But I was just like, I have all these little different pieces to build a rig. And I was just like customizing the rig in so many different ways. One for vertical, vertical, one for horizontal. And then I was testing out like different battery components. Like all this stuff was just out of pure curiosity and intrigue and the fact that I love tinkering with tech. And so that's something that's come to mind a, a lot too. Where it's like one of the most profitable uh formats for content is just literally covering tech and talking about tech because there is an infinite am amount of money in that industry and they're all deploying it on creators and people to amplify whatever they're building and doing. So like that's another bucket. I just haven't found 
um, the intersection, as we've always talked about, let's call it Ikigai. Like I haven't found that perfect intersection of what I'm good at, what I love, what the world needs and what'll make me money. I've like cracked it to the point where I can get like three of them, but I don't think I've found the, the correct formula or the correct sort of combination or concoction that includes all four. Um, yeah. And you know what? That's hard to do. Some people, most people, I would even say, spend their entire lives not even getting close or not even having an inkling of an idea of what that is. Um, Dan Coase kind of built his brand around that movement in itself. So it's, it's great, man. I'm, I love talking about this live because, again, like it's important to the ethos of weekends. It's like that creative brainstorm and the live journey unfolding. Yeah. I, I think the of those four pieces, the one you should think about the least in this stage is the making money one because – I think there's so many business models that you'll be able to easily apply that maybe don't make sense today. Like, for example, I I 100% agree that like if you pick tech reviewing or tech or gear reviewing as the vehicle, the one of the first places your brain goes to is like I can make a lot of money doing that. And I think if you're thinking in a 20 year arc, you got to remove the like I can make a lot of money doing that. Correct. Put that to the side for now because I think you can make a lot of money doing anything. Like you're talented enough. And passionate, if you're passionate about something and you just stay with it, you'll make, you'll make so much money on in anything. So I would put that to the side. The interesting, oh, another way to frame it is like, what thing, if you weren't allowed to do anything but it, would you be excited to work on? So like, based from, from an outside observer, the thing that I've observed you having the most passion for is kind of like, I, I don't want to say filmmaking, but almost like, it's like the story, it's like everything around cinema not like a proper, like shoot a proper two hour movie in IMAX, but like you love the gear, the storytelling, the lighting, the art of the craft, like all of that in a, in a bucket. So like there's somebody out there whose audience that they're doing everything for is like filmmakers. There's probably, I mean, there's a lot of them out there. And so maybe that's not the right one for you, but like if I were authentically looking from the outside at what seems like it gives you the most energy, that's one thing that I feel like you've talked about a lot, but gear is another I feel like you're really good at you. You have a lot of gear. You like talking about it. You like modding it, you know, so that's that could be it, too. But I think that frame of like if you weren't allowed to be spread thin, if you weren't allowed to have your hand in 10 different jars, which jar would you be willing to wake up every single day for the next year and like excited to work on? You know, that was brilliant. I mean, the first thing is as a kind of a product person with a tech background, it's like you're 100 percent right. Most and again, the landscape has changed a little bit now, but most highly lucrative tech companies or any business in general, sometimes they'll go 5, 10, 15 years not being profitable, right? And that's kind of what it takes. It's like you can't really focus on the money at first. You just have to be in build, in build mode. Um, the other thing that comes to mind too is like the idea that we've talked about that, hey, you are the niche. So in my mind, it's like, wait a second, that is the world that I'm building. If you come to my world, you're going to get some tech stuff. You, we're going to talk about cinema. I don't know, maybe color grading, storytelling. But you know what? If there was like a, a really dope thing that happened in, in the NBA, I might talk about that. Um, uh, yeah. I might talk about this new microphone that I got. I, like, there's, there's nothing off limits. Like, I think I admire Joe Rogan, I think, the most because he's not interested in talking about anything that he's not genuinely interested in. He is not interested in gaming the algorithm. He doesn't want to bring in the hottest YouTuber just because he knows he's going to get an extra 7 million views or 4 million listens on Spotify. He does not give a shit. I only want to talk to the people that I want to talk to. That's like Joe Rogan's sort of ethos. And I think yeah. uh, that comes off very natural and authentic. And so in a way, it's like, you know what? Maybe I don't have to pigeon my hole into anything. Maybe it's like my world is like, 
yo, let's talk about lifestyle. Let's talk about tech. Let's talk about AI. Let's talk about business. Let's talk about cinematography. Let's talk about why Roger Deakins is the best cinematographer in the world. You know, like, and so, um, yeah, yeah, that was helpful. That's helpful. Yeah. That's, that's why, that's why I kind of like, I like world builders as a concept because it's, it's intentionally broad, right? Like a world builder has to learn content. They have to learn how to build brands. They have to learn business strategy. I mean, those are the things I'm already talking. It's just, it's just an umbrella term to capture it. Cause, cause you've said this a lot is like Pograb's really good at distilling the things he does into like quippy one to two word ideas and then communicating through those ideas as like the, the little bits so that's why that's why I think it's helpful to like put a frame on it if you can. But to be honest, being broad is what's interesting. Like <laughs> I like the con- if you stack Legos in a unique way, you'll no one else will be like that. Versus if all you did was make stuff for filmmakers and it was super narrow, there's other people that have tried to do that and that will try to. It's 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 almost like too narrow. So it would also be inauthentic of me because I don't make films. You know, like I'm a, a 70 second cinematic short is to me is not like. Um, and, and you know, I'm, I don't want to like discredit myself either, but that's not a film. I'm not out yeah, there yeah. shooting like, um, let's, let's speaking of being intentionally, uh, sort of multifaceted, let's, let's talk about, well, I wanted to talk about tech hardware, like this AI hardware evolution that's coming, yeah, whether yeah. you think it's anything, but before we get there first, maybe let's talk about, let's maybe make a prediction. So trends is something that's really interesting to use as a boost kind of to your brand. Um, when you make your whole identity around a trend, you may suffer because as, as fast as something may trend in, it'll trend out. We were both in the web three kind of space and like people would be amazed on metaverse. I used to post something about NFTs, like board, like Tom Brady or Steph Curry bought a board ape and it would get like 70,000 likes. And it was insane. Yeah. Literally <laughs> maybe four months later, I'd post about like a crypto punk and it was crickets. And the comments went from, this is crazy, holy shit, blah, 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 to like, this is such a scam, holy fuck, why is anybody still talking about that? That literally happened in a, in a span of four months. Um, yeah. So when we talk about trends, it's like, it's great to use maybe as a, okay, if you're building a, a media page, maybe attach it to a trend, but then make sure to widen out. I kind of did the same thing with AI, where I was like, there's something here, people like it, I'm actually interested in this, let's talk about it. But I got to, like, strategically, I got to make my brand a lot broader. Right. Because there's going to be a lot of AI only creators that over the next few years or, or maybe there's still enough steam over the next few years, but eventually the, it'll trend out. Um, but anyways, when we talk about trends like 2020, I think the big explosion was like the pandemic. Everybody took their business online. That was like the trend. 21, I would say NFTs. 22 was like red pill, like the emergence of like Tate and Sneeko and like all these guys and the pen and <laughs> even like Elon Musk and the pendulum started swinging even like ideologically. Like where wokeism kind of went out and the new thing was like, you know, like alpha male, the red pill shit, like that kind of came in hard. 23, definitely AI. That was like the overarching trend. Is there anything in 24 that you think will pop um, that could be, you know, like an interesting opportunity maybe for people to arbitrage quickly or attach themselves to grow fast? Yeah. Mm, what a question. Yeah. What a qu- this, this, is a, this is a good question. My gut says that AI is going to be, because it's a huge wave, I think 24 is going to be even bigger where like, we're going to look back at 23 as like just the tip of the iceberg, 24. Because once there are real use cases that people can use AI for, I think in 2023, AI was kind of just like, the best use case was honestly making 60 second videos, test saying how cool it was. But the reality is the tools didn't do what we were, like what the demo videos advertised most of the time. Like mid journey is sick. But for the most part, like runway, 
not really great for making films with text or making videos with text, but like really cool. They put together a sick cinematic reel. So I think in 2024, a lot of these tools are going to fill into the expectations that we had for them initially. So that, that, that's like a little bit of a cop out in terms of like, yeah, AI was the trend. It'll stay the but trend. The, the difference is like one of the pillars when I wrote about like the pillars to viral content, one of the pillars is certainly the novelty, like stuff that people haven't seen before. So even yeah. if it now, like even if, right, like it, the novelty has definitely worn off to the point Agreed. where I agree like AI as far as like a macro trend like tech, it's still, it's going to actually kind of grow forever because it's being limited by hardware right now. So as hardware progresses, like it's always going to be in an upward trajectory. Um, but I feel like the novelty may be worn off a little bit to the point. Actually, I never like when I see a mid journey image or runway video on my feed, I don't, I just, it's not interesting anymore. Like the novelty yeah. is worn off. Like I just expected to be able to do amazing things. So not, not to a uh, debate, just wanted to add that interjection. For sure. For yeah. sure. I, Cause I, I, I think the arc is like the initial, initially someone's like shocked, like, holy shit, I can't believe that's real. Then it's like yeah. intrigue, like, wow, how can I use this to make money or like to further? And then it's almost like fear slash they ignore it of like oh yeah like whatever so okay that's that's one i think dude my gut and we talked about this last episode i think vr or ar but i haven't seen a good implementation of ar yet i think it's going to mind blow people specifically because the apple vision pro i think with with the oculus and i haven't been a big buyer of these oculus devices i think because some yeah. of the some of the demos with the early Oculus almost got like meme to death or like gift to death in terms of how bad it was. And I think brands are fragile in the sense of like when I hear Oculus, I almost think average quality just because of some of the coverage and takes from early versions. Now, that's probably not giving them like the latest versions the credit they deserve. Like I'm sure they're way better than what I think in my head. But I think the Apple Vision Pro provides a very interesting reset for VR at a high quality point. So I was reading an article. They were like, Apple is going to have a 25 minute demo in store for that vision pro to try to sell. So like you and I are probably going to pre-order it and like, we'll get it and whatever. We'll make a bunch of content on it. But like the average person that walks into an Apple store, it's like, Hey, what's the new iPad? Like I want to buy it. They're going to have Apple vision pros in there and they're going to have 25 minute demo periods just to try to sell somebody because they need to be like, custom fitted it needs to be comfortable on their head they need to make sure there's no leak in the light from the side or else or else the demo will, will fail and people won't buy it and so i think because apple is putting so much attention to this they wouldn't have made this if they don't think it is the next like computing platform they wouldn't have bet on it maybe 2024 is too early might it might take till 2025 but i think people are going to be blown away the same way when chat gpt came out and people used it for the first time yep. and they were like holy shit i can't believe this is real i think vr at a high quality point uh, high quality product is going to be that same way again though like that isn't the final form factor that i think will be mainstream like we've said the final form factor is a pair of ray-bans that is packed with technology to the point where you cannot believe you're what you've been walking around in your life without it. So that 2024, that that's not going to happen. So I'm trying to think, are there any topics in your head for 2024 that you think are bigger than well, these to, two? To add to that real quick, I also heard a report that Apple's only going to ship 60,000 instead of the rumored like 500,000 units. I think that was brilliant because Apple is not, this is, dude, when it comes to their entire like revenue, this is a drop in the bucket. This is like literally me putting out a product and making like $15. This is insignificant. It does not matter for that. And so they're not like 
they're not trying to stretch it to 500,000 units to make that extra money. And I think what they realize is like, if we put out 500,000 units, these might not sell out. And all of a sudden the narrative is Apple flop, of, yeah, yeah. you know? And so by putting out 60,000 units, I now think, and we should be at, you know, 5 a.m. Pacific refreshing that website. I think they're going to sell out in an instant, like in a yeah, minute. Um, and that is smart by Apple because now the narrative comes, holy shit, VR is back. Apple crushed it. They knocked it out of the park. That's going to be the narrative. And everybody, so if we're able to get one, I think it's additive to us. Everybody's going to be searching. Since the, uh, the supply is so much lower, there's going to be a lot less creators who have it and also just like the price point. And so like part of the reason I want to get it is just to like literally for a month do nothing but VR, Vision Pro content, leverage metaverse, da, 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 put it all over the internet. And I think just like the Kanye moment in last February, I'm, we'll, we'll have like those same viral, ultra viral moments. Like yeah. we should just keep our ear to the street, like make sure we figure out the best way to present it and that holy shit moment to the audience to take advantage of that novelty. Um, so I agree with you. I was actually going to say VR because of that. Yeah. I still don't think VR will hit critical mass mainstream adoption 20 till 26, 27. But this is the year that we'll get those holy shit novelty moments in VR that don't quite exist yet in the MetaQuest and MetaQuest Pro because they're more entry level consumer devices um, that will exist in the Apple Vision Pro. And yeah. so... I agree with you. First half of this year, I think Vision Pro dominated and everybody rushing the gold rush to try to build experiences to be in a good position to take advantage of that arbitrage over the next three or four years. So I agree with that. Damn, 60,000 units is not a lot. I, I was kind of anticipating as long as we were like ready to buy at when it dropped, we'd be fine. But yeah, 60,000 feels like... This was from an analyst, uh, Ming-Chi Kuo. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's like a yeah, famed pretty, Apple analyst. Everything yeah. that he... Uh, predicts or anything that he says it usually comes true like his track record is pretty pristine um so yeah he said 60 to eighty thousand units of the vision pro um for the, reason, for the launch for obviously. the launch the reason why i'm not too worried is because apple is investing so much time in the in-store demos that means they must either they have just really low expectations for how many you're going to buy on the drop day or they've got reserve inventory because otherwise you don't even need an in-store demo if like it sells out everywhere. But yeah, I'm hoping we get one because because what I was thinking is the things that the trends that go most viral are ones that have the network effects of content inherently built into the experience. So you could argue ChatGPT almost didn't even have this where like to make ChatGPT content, you kind of had to like screen record your screen and yeah. then it was like shitty to watch, honestly. Like right. you can't, but but even still, so many people made videos on it that like that propagated. So imagine if, if I was Apple, the smartest thing you could do is make it really, really easy to screen record the, the Vision Pro, like really easy to where, the point where just like the Ray-Ban Meta glasses that we have, when you press, it films it, you export the phone and like bang, that's ready to go. Because if they make it easy to do that, the, the flywheel will spin much faster because people like us will be able to make more videos more easily you know, if they don't do that and we have to jerry rig some bullshit to try to like record it. No, they'll it. definitely have that. Yeah, as yeah. part of it. 100% being Apple. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah. Any product with that, any product with an inherent content flywheel is going to grow much faster than anything else, right? That's why like Spotify wrapped was so genius because you're able to in one click export that to where the eyes are, which is Instagram story. So I hope Apple does that. And like to your point, I hope it is limited to where like if you don't get it on the drop day, you're gonna have to wait a month or two. And that gives this like huge moat for people who do have it to like make a shit ton of content. Yeah. That's why if I'm if I'm able to get one, I mean the plan is to then 
probably sell it in like two months after. I don't think, unless, unless it's like, okay, I've identified something to build with it. But I don't think as a consumer, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. I don't know that it's enough of a leap from, you know, the same with the Quest. I think I have the Quest 2. I don't have the Quest 3, but I tried the Quest 3 out in New York. Um, the, the novelty does wear off quick. Like, I just don't think it has the, the uh, built-in experiences that make it sticky for me. Maybe the Vision Pro is different just because of the high, you know, it's like a 4K screen on each. I, I don't know. Like, I'm excited to try it. Um, but that's sort of my plan moving forward. I'll probably end up selling it like two to three months after. I yeah. don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm thinking the movie and TV experience is going to be so good on it that that alone, we're, I guess, yeah, but if you're alone and your wife doesn't have one, then it's like, it kind of, yeah. it's I, tough I to watch yeah. TV shows. <laughs> I don't really yeah. watch like movies or TVs anymore as is like my, you know, so it's like, I don't, I don't, we'll see. I don't know. I can't make a, I can't make an assessment until we have it in our hands but but imagine imagine this though and then we can go to something else imagine if you and i are the are some of the only ones that figure out how to make the content we make but in 3d space to where exactly that's like and then yeah yeah that'd be so sick you know the only thing is the medium because probably youtube is still going to be the i i I doubt apple make maybe they do maybe they make their own product their own like platform to host these but it'll probably still be youtube that has vr enabled but the only problem with that is then the non-VR experience on YouTube doesn't make yeah, it. So yeah. it's very neat. I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. Like what medium will that live in? Will it be a, an Apple specific medium that they, in, will it be like, I, I don't know, maybe it's an opportunity for them to finally crack social. They've never made like a real, real attempt at it. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm curious, like all these things I'm very curious about, and this is why I want to get it. And like, we just have to like tinker and figure out what's possible. I mean, I would, I would imagine if I did get one, like, at first, it'll be pretty basic unboxing. This is me unboxing it. This is my uh, first reaction to it. But then it's like, yeah, the game becomes how do you present this information in a visually stimulating and novel way? I hope they think through that and like create the 2D content export for the 3D experience. Where because in their demo videos, like they made it look. We were watching that on a computer screen, but they made it look good and like with depth. Yeah, because it's it's going to be interesting. Of like, I've I've. I had, uh, I know a lot of people who've done the demo and it's, I'm curious. I, I, I think they're like under NDA, but as long as I don't say who, I think it's fine. But one person told me that there's a tightrope walking experience and they were speechless. It was like the first time in their life that the, the, the blend between like reality and, and what on non-reality, unreality reality. was, was really blended. And then like, supposedly there's a scene on the tightrope where the person on the type rope gets like close to your face. They were saying that they do this with like vision pro specific cameras that Apple has invented to the vision pro. And the way that this, and so the, the depth of field is like simulated to the point where he was like, for the first time in my life, a virtual human was in front of my face. And I couldn't tell like, if it like that, I was like, yeah, he, like it, it really did trick dude, your brain and, in terms of like, it really tricked uh, their brain. And so you're That's right, so man. Like sick. these are the That's kind so of experiences sick. that like will be difficult to present on social though, because you have to be in the headset for, for, you know, the effect to be truly immersive on social is going to look like an unreal engine video game character. Yeah. Yeah. But, and so that'll be the trick. Like how do we present these immersive experiences to the user looking at it on a 2d screen? That's going to be tricky. It would, like, it would be like it would be like watching a 3D movie without the glasses. You see the red and blue, which is like I, shitty. Yeah. yeah. But but that, but the interesting. So what I'm interested in is 
basically from the day that drops until the the point in time where there's like a mass like the iPhone 4 ver- there's a mass consumer Ray-Ban version that everybody had that millions of people have between those two points anybody who's building experiences for that VR world is going to be amazingly positioned so yep. that when the mainstream moment ha- exactly. so so my my take is this like and this is where the, this is how it connects to what we were talking about before we have like a strategy in terms of you, you're trying to build this movement. You have a strategy around content. You have a, potentially have a strategy around products and services. But then this thing comes along where you're like, holy shit, this completely shatters everything. And like when and how do you throw out the strategy that you had pre this thing coming out and like divert some or all of your attention towards building for it? And that's where this like shiny object syndrome comes in where it's like, all right, Web3 popped up and then people are like, forget everything I'm building for web three and they build for like a year or two. And then it's like AI pops up and they're like, forget web three I'm building. And and what ends up happening is these trends, the, the, the wave of like how soon these come shortens and shortens to the point where like you might be spending a year on each, but never get to the compounding point because you keep switching. And so the question is like, I think for sure there's going to be something in VR that we should take advantage of somehow, whether it's content or like building products within VR or like building the software stack for VR or like understanding how advertising, whatever, there's gonna be something. And the question is like, how much of our time and energy should we divert towards it versus not? And like, that's the thing I always struggle with because there's always so much interesting stuff to do. So, you know, like I'm curious to get your take on that because a lot of people say like, yo, pick a strategy, head down, compound for 10 years. But it's like, yeah, but then you miss the next paradigm, which could have been a hundred X more fruitful for you, you know? Yeah. So with trends, I think it's like, how can you build something that, and by the way, this is why I love tech as an overarching category. Cause if you're a tech creator, you're going to be able to take advantage of every trend. Like tech is the game for the rest of our lives. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you never run out of things to talk about. And so that's a great category to go into. And then it gets a little riskier, the more you niche down. So there's this gaming creator named Bryce he, I was talking to him one time on a Twitter space and he's like, I'm going all in on web three gaming. That is my brand because I believe that maybe in two or three years, I don't know how long it'll take, but he believes that web three gaming will eventually be like the biggest thing in the world. So he's like, I'm going to position myself. It's, it's risky, but if it's a, it's a high risk, high reward bet that if web three gaming becomes this thing, he is the guy, he becomes like the guy associated with web three gaming and his brand all of a sudden goes like through the roof in terms of uh, brand deals, brand sponsorships. It'll be uh, crazy lucrative, but it's a little riskier because trends come in, they trend out, maybe they never come back. But what I'm thinking now is like, how do I take advantage of every trend? Um, and so again, like Pulse is a great example of that, where it's like, no matter the trend, like you're going to go to Pulse to, to see what's trending, what's coming, whatever. Another way to do that is to position your brand, like the way that you've done it, where it's like new tech and cult brands, you'll never run out of things to talk about ever, right, right. which is amazing. Versus if you're a creator hyper-focused on one trend, there may be a time where you run out of things to talk about or the things that you are talking about, nobody cares anymore. And so, it, you know, I think it just, it, it's up to the person to make those, uh, to make those decisions. Um, but overall, right, right now, I'm trying to position myself where I can, like building things and building a brand where I can take advantage of every trend, um, if that makes sense, like in a, in a natural, yeah. integrated way. I think it's really easy to frame yourself from a content perspective to be able to take advantage of every trend. Like we both can do that. But I think it's much harder from a building products and selling products perspective to take yeah. advantage of every trend. And that's that's where yeah. the dissonance is in my mind is like, okay, yeah, if we're, if we're some of the best storytellers at like breaking 
news, breaking trends, break, like new launches. Yeah, we can just do that forever. But if you want to be a newscaster type person, perfect. That's all you have to ever do. But both of us have like product ambitions. So that, that's yeah. where I'm like, okay, damn, like we can always be surface level content, always follow the trends, like and, and not build products for each of those verticals and be completely fine. But then it's like, which vertical do you go down to actually invest the time to build the products? You're doing Pulse right now, which I think is smart because to your point, Pulse is a product designed to surface the trend of the day and there'll always be new trends, but Pulse will stay. So that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm like the same as like serving creators, say like course microeducation. It's the same thing where it's, yeah. you can now take advantage of every trend because any trend that comes by, you know, it could be a make first a mover, first shaker. And then it's like, exactly make a new course, attach it to the micro learning body. And so that's also, again, so like I'm, I'm, that's where my head's at. It's like serving creators, serving technologists. I think I'm like operating in that world. And I think yeah. that's something that I could dedicate my, the next like 30 years to, um, yeah. Yeah, so maybe maybe that's maybe it's as simple so, as that. Yeah, it, 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 some, man, sometimes it's like uh, I forget what podcast I was listening to, but somebody was asked like, "How did you build whatever business?" And they were like, "My answer is annoyingly simple." Are you ready? And I was like, "That makes sense." It usually is annoyingly simple, and people just yeah. overcomplicate it. Well, I think a lot of it, a lot of us overcomplicating is just like we like we like distilled messaging and we're like struggling to find a way to codify what we're doing. But like, we yeah. already know what we like to do and we're doing it already. We just like, can't message it well. And you see other people that do message it well. And you're like, Oh, I should, I should have that like tight messaging. But at the end of the day, Correct. what's less important about how you say it, it's more important how someone who follows you says it is their friend. Right. And so like, one of the things I want to ask you is you, you put a story out that was kind of like, yo, message me what you think, or I don't, maybe this was in your email, I forget what medium, but you were like, send me a message back of what you think my brand is. And I'm curious, like what you got back from that. Uh, it actually was like decent signal. So a lot of people were like, tech stories, techno stories, this and that. But what I got like multiple times that made me happy, because I'm sort of like, trying to position myself in this arena was um, finger on the pulse. And like people would actually say the, the word pulse. And I'm like, okay, that's dope. So that gave me signal that you know, especially building these media pages, that's a product that I already have like that built in trust to, to kind of push out. But it was mostly, yeah, it was, it was around stories and tech. Like I would say 80% of the comments that, that came back to me, stories and tech. And there was a lot of like trustworthy and authenticity that I appreciated as well. Cause like, that's my biggest fear is like breaking trust with the audience. Um, but stories and tech. And so I was like, okay, there's something so there. You there. Go. Cin cinema. Yeah. And that's why I had in my like bio, like cinema and tech. And so I'm working towards, I guess that, that, and, and I love it and I don't think I could ever get tired of it. So that's good. It was, it was great feedback, but there was still not like a central word or message that I think can be converted into a movement, you know, um, that could yeah, be unique to me. So again, like that's something that, um, I've realized, Hey, maybe I'm trying to force feed it. It just got to come natural. Let me just yeah. keep playing for two years and I'm sure I'll figure it out. You know? Yeah. I, I, that's what I was going to say. I think you just keep doing what you're doing and the movement the, it's really attractive to have a movement because it's so easy to get people to either know if they want to buy in or not. But yeah. yeah. But I recommend you do it. I recommend anybody listening to do that. I think it was like a great exercise and gave me a little bit of clarity. Like, uh, you know, get, instead of, you know, spending days and nights thinking about it, just ask your audience, Hey, when you think about me, when you think about my brand, what are some of the words that come to mind? What are some of the words, ideas that come to mind? Um, I'll probably put that like on my IG story too, just cause I found that very helpful and useful. A hundred percent. All right, where do you want to go from here? Maybe we can do like one more. Well, let's talk about your uh, your build-alongs because 
this is something that I was really interested in. So you, you put out a video on um, Stanley Cups that went, it was just like explosive. It went, it went crazy on every platform. And we've talked about before, it's like, eh, you're not really viral unless you're, unless it's viral on every platform. Yeah. It went viral on every platform. And I would, and we also talk about that the, the most valuable things like in the world for like creators or any practitioner in any industry is like watching somebody else or watching like an expert do it, watching an expert there, you know, in their process. And so we can talk about what, what was your process in putting together that video and building that video? How did you choose that specific hook amongst like, I'm sure a hundred others that came to mind, all this stuff, but, or maybe you don't, you know, maybe, uh, Hey, this is gated. You got to pay for this information. Cause I know you wanted to build out those build alongs and dude, but like, I'm telling you, I don't care what you price that build along. I think it would be like the best ROI bank for, for your buck. And so how are you thinking about, first of all, I guess, talk about that union, the build along and the process. How are you going to try to productize that? And yeah. how, how are you thinking about that? This, yeah, this is, this is something I want to have like a live brainstorm on. So my initial thinking so yeah, you teed it up well. Build longs are essentially just walking through exactly how I made a video, like from why I picked certain lines in the script, why I've packaged it that way, when I when when editing, why'd we edit it this way, why why'd I use certain sounds, whatever. So I made the first build along on that Shohei Otani video. That was a that was a pilot. Now what I did was I thought initially the build along would be the most valuable if I recorded myself doing it before I put it out. That way I can actually explain why I'm doing like without any revision. You should because history. it should be in your caption from day, from the get. Yeah. The problem is it took way longer to actually make that video because I was recording the build along. So like mm, right. I where it might have taken me 30 minutes to write the script in silence, it took me an hour and a half to write the script because I was like articulating why I was doing it. And there was a lot of like dead time of me actually thinking that I had to cut out. So it, it, it took a, so on the edit, I didn't actually do it that way because it would have taken me eight hours to do the edit while I was like filming myself do it. So on the edit for the show, Hey one, I kind of like, I did the script live. I posted the video. The video didn't do that well. Then I recorded the edit with the edit actually done to be like, okay, let's go through the edit. Cause what I realized is like, I, I edited that whole build along last night. It was like 90 minutes. Is someone going to want to watch a full 90 minute thing uh, on a video? Maybe like once or twice, but probably instead they'd rather watch like a 20 minute where I'm breaking everything down. But after the fact, so like I have the Stanley script and I'm like, yo, let's go through line by line and like what I was thinking in the moment. A little bit of that will be biased because I'm only going to do the ones that actually did well, but most people probably only want to watch the ones that did well. So it's kind of like, you know, so, so with the build alongs, I'm trying to figure out like, the initial strategy was film these, release them on the school plat, create a school platform for weekends, which is like a community platform that's free to everyone. I'd post these builds along, some for free, some for like five bucks an episode, or all of them for free. I hadn't decided on the pricing. But the reason I was going to do it on school is because I wanted to aggregate people into school so that when we sold the course, we had thousands of people already in there which is where we would also host the course. Dude, I, I have, have all the their exact emails. strategy for you. I think like, uh, sorry to interrupt. I just, I, I got to get out. Like you got, first of all, put these out now, put them out after the fact. Don't record them. You're right. 20 minutes, I think is a sweet spot. Nobody wants, yeah. I don't think an hour and a half. 20 minutes is a sweet spot. When I'm looking at the design, I'm thinking about like a storefront where there's a lot of thumbnails. Oh, making of Otani video, making of this, uh, and exactly. each video allocate the number of total impressions or impressions that each video got. 100%. Right. And so like, and then you can price them accordingly. So maybe the Otani video is $15, whereas the, um, the Stanley Cup video is $30 or whatever it is. And then, have an, and then have a subscription tier 
or a one-time payment tier that gives you access to all build-alongs and all build-alongs in the future. So you want that like aggregate tier, just money psychology. Most people are going to go for it. Yeah. Um, and that's the way that you do it. And then in every caption that you put on from here on out, if you're interested in seeing how I make these videos, visit da 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 and make sure it's like a very easy, attractive TLD. Try to get like Callaway.io or whatever. Um, that's the way that you should do it. And I think that'll be really, really profitable almost from the get-go. And then you want to have a free one. Maybe make the Otani one free or whatever it is. Make one that's just like so damn valuable that people are like, wait a second, I need, I need more of this. And then that's the way you do it. And then that becomes a crazy lead magnet. If you want to learn how to, and by the way, people like the new thing right now, people are putting the lead magnet in the story and then boosting the story. And they're getting like a hundred thousand story views, 150,000 story views, whatever, usually like 30% of their audience clip, which is unheard of. Um, And then that could be the lead magnet. If you want to know how to make these videos that made 200 million views, it's free. Like just go here. Yeah. So that's like, that's there's basically already. Yeah, that's perfect. So I had, I had three ideas for how to package it. So what you just described is number one. I was going to use like weekends.club or like we, whatever. I, I, I was thinking about doing it under the weekends brand so that when we sold courses or if we sold a course, we had people in there already warm. Like we had oh, all their yeah. emails. They're already paying. I could do some too, some build-alongs too. Exactly. Yeah. So one strategy is you basically create the week, you create the storefront and you sell most of them. Like you said, some are free, but the majority are paid. You price them that way. Strategy number two is, we, we create weekends.club in school, but they're all free. And it's literally just like, it's a lot of work to make them free, but like you're driving a shit. Cause every time I make a video, if I make that Stanley cup video and I'm like, yo, here's exactly how I made it. By the way, it's free. You just have to sign up for the weekends. You'll get, it's almost like an email list. You'll get 20,000, 50,000, hundred thousand people for free in the school, in our school. Then when you sell the course, that's how you monetize. Option three is if we're not going to make the course, I don't want to aggregate people into a community that I, that we then don't sell a course to and then they're all it's like a closed system i'd rather than post them on youtube you know because i'd rather like actually leverage the content value so um, it's one of the three the one i the one i think is best for us is honestly option one which is like some are free the be- biggest bangers are paid they're really cheap they're like five to five to twenty bucks you don't have to watch them we use the free ones to get a bunch of people in there we can, we can extract a decent amount of value from the paid ones, but it's totally worth it because like the Stanley Cup video got 5 million views. It's totally worth it if you want to actually learn. You can do them. I can do them. And then we don't have to sell a course. We're still, it's still worth it to have the school because those are paid. But if we want to sell a course, it sets us up well. So I'm curious how you think of those, th- those three options because if we don't sell a course, I don't want to trap everybody into weekends and then have a community that I don't nurture and also, I'm not getting no value out of. And then the content, I get no value out of also because it's gated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think the, the thing with school, it's like a great platform to host these things. But the storefront can't be on school. I, I don't think it's compelling enough. I, I, or maybe there's a way to do it. But, like, I was thinking, like, a custom framer, beautiful, elegant storefront where you can, mm. like, add things to cart. And then once you add it to cart, maybe there's, like, a login. or I don't know how it would work. I'd have to do the, do the research. But I'm thinking, like, if I go and I get to school and I have to, like, sign up, I have to like make an account and shit. That is such a deterrent. Like that, that's so much friction. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. my only concern, but, I, but I, I have to study the integration because if you could do a custom site and then integrate it easily into school where it takes you to the school checkout and then you check out and then you log, I, I don't, well, I, don't I think know. school, school is built from the ground up specifically for this type of use case where it's like, maybe you do have to log in with your name, your email and password initially you have to set create an account so that kind of sucks but like school was designed so that you could sell micro courses and it's super clean there's a cart inside once you check mm. out the courses are delivered inside school it's all super clean it's like 
when you uh, maybe school, I'll join Greg Isenberg's uh, uh, community just to research. Just to yeah, study, I, I, right? don't I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know how school works that well either. I need to study it. But from what I understand, basically, like imagine if I had a framer site and you wanted to go, you'd go to it, but it would feel very transactional because the first thing you would do is you'd buy. And then yeah. when you buy, I send you an email that's like, here's a link to the thing. And then it, the thing would have to be hosted somewhere. So then you click in it and you're not in the framework site anymore. You're in something else watching. It's very disconnected versus school is like, I send you a link. It deep embeds directly to that thing in school. You press mm, buy yeah. and it unlocks it right away. So that works my then. thinking, yeah, my thinking is that would be easier. But, but I, to the point, I don't want to make, I don't want to spend all the time. And school costs 99 bucks a month. So it's not free. I, I don't want to spend time getting people into school if we're not going to monetize them because otherwise, because if I do that, it's just, then it's like, it's like creating an Island and you send one boat of people to the Island and you never send another boat. It's like they're, they're stuck on the Island. You know, like I, what I don't want to do is trap myself slash us into having to, I don't want to have to manage a community daily. A B I don't want to post valuable content that only a couple thousand people see. Cause they're the ones that took the action, but then we never monetize them. So it was like, why'd we do that? You know what I'm saying? That, and that's true as well. It's like, then you got to think, okay, if, what if this only makes 50 sales, would it have been more valuable to have just put it on YouTube for free and potentially, you know, take advantage of that organic, uh, horde of people like, and who knows, it could be the other way around too. Maybe you put it on YouTube, uh, expecting it to hit and then it only gets like 400 views and it would have been way better to just gotten those 15 sales. <laughs> like, yeah. so these are, uh, uh, um, I think, I think what I want to do is I want to go down the school route because I want to learn to see if the platform makes sense. I want to do the some free, some paid so we can test if there's actually demand for it. Right now, I only have the one Otani one and that should be free because the camera's laggy and shit. And well, they, not, that's how you test the demand, you know? Like I would put yeah. that. Oh, then again, maybe you want to make sure you have like one paid one before you send all that traffic to the free one. Exactly. Um, that's what I was thinking. I'm, so I, I would need to do make that the and then one test first. the demand, right? Yeah. Before you go and make 20. Exactly. That, I want to make this only one. So I have one free, one paid. And then, cause the idea is this, this is why it's smart. When people sign up for school and they join your school and it's free, you then get their email. Every single time I post a new one that's paid into school, I can then blast an email to them. That that's as if they were on an email list. So it's like way higher converting than if I made a story, an Instagram story about it. So yeah, but and that it doesn't mean we have to commit to making the course, but if we made the course and it was also in school, then all of those emails and all those people in school that had paid maybe five bucks for the Stanley Cup build along, dude, those people are so warm already. Like you're gonna be able to convert way more of those. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at on it. I think there's definitely value in it. We can do them forever. We can pick how much how many we do. So yeah, but that's that's kind of that's kind of where it's at. So I need to make the I mean to make the next one. Hundred um, percent. One quick note in that that came to mind, like speaking of school, Hormozy made an investment in the school. Like, what a testament to the power of an audience, because him just literally making the post that he made an investment into school. I bet you there was like a thousand, probably more, maybe ten thousand new signups paying a hundred dollars into school that probably already made him sort of a return on the investment. Yeah, right. That has accelerated school's enterprise value probably like three x just from that one single post. And I'm like, damn, man, really the power of content is, is, uh, is still underappreciated even in 2024. It's, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's wild, the access that it provides. On school, yeah, I mean, let's, let's give ourselves like a deadline to figure it out too because I've been in like this limbo stage, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. Am I going to like continue this for, you know, two years and then do nothing? Um, and then it's like, okay, it, 
there's a lot of alternatives to school. Is school just hot because it's like it's the one that people are talking about? Hormozy's on it. Is Kajabi better? So I don't I don't know. Like I'd have to like really do the research on on this. And so what I think I'm gonna do is join up Greg Isenberg's school. I think it's a hundred bucks a month. Just to so, so basically he has a course where you get school for free and you pay a hundred a month and school costs a hundred a month. So yeah, it's probably we should just both join Greg's like community empire because it's the wait, same how cost. Do you get, he's got so he Gre- struck a deal with school. He must have, yeah. He he must be paying fifty bucks for school a month and he keeps fifty or something. Dude, but that's, yeah. That's an amazing deal then, yeah. Yeah, so let, let, we should just sign up for that. And then we can study Greg, because Greg's got this all unlocked, man. He's got this entire system built exactly. out with teams behind. So and we then can, we'll like, set up the, we'll doing. set up, because that's why I was thinking like weekends.club sounds pretty sick. Like it kind of sounds like a, um, you're like in the club, right? So yeah, it's, exactly. it's like on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, we, we basically are broadcasting to the world. But if you're in our thing, which is free to join, like you can join the school for free. You just have to sign up with an email and you can have access to all our shit that's free. That feels more like behind the scenes, more like uh you know, more special. So that's why I think we should try, but, um, I like it. So he's got seven admins in it, uh, launch pad for builders, discovering trends. Uh, we can talk about this maybe later, but yeah. Do you want to, do you want to wrap it here? Do you want to mention the creators we love lately? How do you want to close? Um, or we can save the creators for the next time. Yeah, we can save that for the next time. Uh, however you want to close, man. Um, or we could just wrap it here. I think, dude, that was one of the most value filled episodes I yeah. think that we've recorded yet. I think maybe the most value-filled one. Crushed it. Absolutely yeah, crushed. That was, uh, if you, I think, must-watch, must-listen to for, for creators. Yeah, must-listen for sure. If you guys are listening, still listening, make sure to subscribe. If you're listening that far and haven't subscribed, I mean, you know, you're playing yourself, as DJ Khaled what, would say. One quick thing, because you know what's funny? I, I realized on Instagram there was, there was a, a creator that I liked every single one of his posts, and then I realized I wasn't following him. But I guess he one time showed up on my algorithm. I liked it. Showed up again. I liked it. And he just became like a staple in my feed, and I realized that I wasn't even following. And I think that's probably happened more than I know. I wonder if that happens, too, for people. To, like on YouTube, that happens all the time as well. Where I'm getting yeah. served videos, and I'm not even subscribed to the person just because I don't know. So that's kind of funny. So make sure to double check that you are subscribed, whether you're listening to it on YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple. Hell yeah. And we'll see you guys. That was episode 10. That's a wrap. We'll see you guys on the next one. Peace. Go. All right, guys.